welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. And who's we? Well, I'm your host Andrew, and today I'm joined by Mick. Hello! And not Rob, who's dropped out so last minute that I don't even have a pithy thing about him. I, I don't know. A vampire got him, there we go. Oh, nice segue. I mean, it's not one of my better ones, is it? No, but it's direct and to the point, and I kind of like that. If only our subject matter had been. Anyway, Mick, how are you doing today? I'm recovering. From an arduous task. That you sent me, actually. Indeed, this is... Today's episode has worked out in ways that I certainly didn't intend, but I'm very excited to talk about. <laughs> so I think with that, it's probably about time for us to get out of town because things are about to get real dark as we behold 30 Days of Night. The only vampire movie shot in real time. So, yeah, this week I figured since, you know, it is getting on for Halloween time, we might as well do a sort of spooky horror movie. And Is it like, Halloween? Because you wouldn't know it to go in the shops. I mean, what is going in shops? What is it, 2019? <laughs> I have to go in shops for essentials. See, my shopping experience is still very much approaching the front door, then loudly yelling, oh, bugger, left the mask at home again. Ah, but you see, that's where the canny shops now have masks for sale at the front door. That is very crafty. Mm. Anyway, yeah, today we are talking about 30 Days of Night, the 2007 film directed by David Slade, who... Mick, would you like to know what film David Slade directed after 30 Days of Night? Was it 30 Days of Night 2? No, even better. The Twilight Saga, Eclipse. Oh, now you see I stopped watching that 20 minutes in. Oh, mind you, it was only Eclipse, wasn't it? I only, I only started watching the first Twilight movie and then realised that it wasn't for me. Yeah, I mean, I, that one, I assume, is just like two hours of Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> so there's an 80s tribute act in all these vampire movies. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's like how Edgar Wright's got his Cornetto trilogy. David yeah. Slade has his, like, off-brand 80s pop star trilogy. <laughs> Are we still waiting for the third entry in that? Potentially. Let's keep waiting. Anyway, this film also has screenplay by Steve Niles, Stuart Beatty and Brian Nelson, and is based on the 2003 comic written by Steve Niles, with art by Ben Templesmith. You, uh, you read the comic, Mick? No, but it would have been quicker. Indeed it is, because it's only three issues long. I have read the comic because it was like £1.59 in Comixology. Wow. It's... 
You could have you could have done me a solid and, and let me know that. I mean, I, I think I did you a solid by not letting you know it. To be honest, it's it's not great. It's no, but, you know, it's one of those comics where it's very clearly, and I did research this, and this was actually the case where the story was like initially pitched as a screenplay, and then Steve Niles has just taken the screenplay. And kind of slapped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's three issues of a comic telling you about a story that sounds like it might be quite cool. Right. Okay. But well, uh, well. Shall we get into that? the film? Do you want to do a synopsis? I do want to do a synopsis. All right, but don't make it a blow-by-blow synopsis, because otherwise we'll have to make this into a series. I mean, it's easier than having to watch another film, isn't it? (laughs) So, 30 Days of Night, Day (laughs) 1. On the first day of night, the truth was to me, a stranger in an anorak. No, don't worry, I have condensed the synopsis down. But just fair warning for everyone listening, once again, this will have kind of full spoilers for the film in this Which has been out for 13 years. So, our film opens on the town of Barrow, Alaska, which is preparing for its annual month without sunlight. As most of the town packs up to leave for the mainland, Sheriff Eben Olsen, played by Josh Hartnett, and his deputy Billy Kitka, played by Deathstroke, Investigate a series of strange crimes committed by a mysterious stranger, played by Ben Foster. And these crimes include stealing most of the town's mobile phones and burning them in a pit, sabotaging the town's only helicopter, and killing an entire kennel full of sleigh dogs. Evan realises too late that the stranger has cut off all means of effectively leaving the town or contacting the outside world. And that night, he learns the reason why, as the stranger's master, Marlowe, played by Danny Houston, arrives with his horde of vampires. The vampires savagely attack the town, indulging in a blood-soaked feeding frenzy, safe in the knowledge that they now have 30 whole days to do as they like before the sun rises again. As most of the remaining population is slaughtered, Evan leads a small band of survivors, including his estranged wife Stella, played by Melissa George, his younger brother Jake, played by Mark Rendell, and a few others who are less important, so I can't bother to name them. After spending a few weeks trapped in an attic, the survivors begin a desperate trek through the town under the cover of a blizzard, hoping to gather enough supplies to make it to the nearby Utilidor, which is like a power and sewage plant. Apparently Utilidor is kind of an abbreviation of Utility Corridor. So there's really? your interesting I thought, fact. I, I, I thought it was a sort of power worker who did bullfighting at night in his spare time. Oh, I see, like a matador, but he's got, like, a socket wrench on him as well or something. Or even even better still, he's a power worker who's also a Mexican wrestler, so it's a combination of utilities and lucador. Now that's a film I would watch. It's got to be better than this one. Quick, let's storyboard it and release it as a comic. Anyway, if the survivors can get to the utility door, they'll be able to safely wait out 
kind of the, the vampire attack until sunrise. But first they've got a whole horde of bloodsuckers to make their way through. Who lives? Who dies? Who cares? <laughs> so yeah, discussion. Now, now with the discussion pass, I had made myself, you know, a few notes kind of going through my feelings on the film. But actually, what's going to save me a lot of time and probably just going to take us to the end of the lot of time is, Mick, what did you think of this film? It was god-awful. I mean, I've seen films overuse that whole shoot day for night effect. But this one, I mean, it, it uses it for the entire film, except for the first section where we first see the stranger approaching the town. Um, it's impossible to empathise with any of the characters because they're all so emotionally still stunted, it's untrue. Josh Hartnett appears to be channelling uh, the very image of um, every single time that Val Kilmer has seen a puppy die. Because that's what he, 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 he seems to be an emotionally detached Val Kilmer standing. Um, Harlow, the head vampire, looks like an undead Neil Tennant Pet Shop Boys tribute act. Melissa George, who plays the estranged wife Stella, manages to look like a pounding 60s sex kitten, regardless of how much danger she's in. The pace is so slow, it makes me look fast when I'm doing the Great North Run. It feels like it's shot in real time. It feels like a, a feature-length episode of Supernatural, but without the brotherly bants, and from one of the seasons past season eight, where it was way past its sell-by date. And... The moral of the story seems to be that if your town gets overrun by vampires, you'll only survive if you're emotionally crippled. So good news for the Tories, I guess. And there you go. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'll uh, admit. So, do you want me? Do you want me to tell you the bits I did like? I mean. Yeah, because we've still got kind of like another half an hour or so to go, but I feel like it might not stretch out that long. No. Um, hold on. Um, um, um. The credits were quite brief at the beginning. That was um, quite nice. They were quite, you know, to the point. Yeah, you know, I, I will give 30 Days nice. I do think, like, the central premise of 30 Days is nice is very good. Like, the, the whole idea of it's kind of a bit like the thing where you're trapped in this kind of remote Arctic environment. And, like, you, you know, you're fenced in by all these vampires and you can't escape. And it's not even like the usual vampire thing of oh, well, if we can just make it, like, a few hours until morning, then all the vampires will just die. But it just... It doesn't seem to do that much with it. 
No, no, I think, I think, I think you're right, and I think possibly that's where the disappointment comes from. Is that you know it is a good premise. It's it's the you know that whole idea that yes, vampires are a creature of the night, but what if you're so far north that a night lasts an entire month? That is a really good premise because what what would normally be a sort of standard schlock uh, vampire horror flick turns into uh, a sort of base under siege story, if you like. Uh, yeah, this film should be assault on, assault on Precinct 13, but with vampires. Yeah, that kind of thing. But it, it so isn't. I mean, I, I swear blind that at one point, when I was watching The Time Remaining, the number was going up. As I watched the film. It was terribly slow. I mean, even the action scenes weren't that active. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely... I think when I saw it before, like, I remembered the bits, you know, where they're kind of all in the attic. In my mind, yeah. that's like the end of Act 2, and then you have the finale. But mm-hmm. there's still like an hour of the film after that bit. I know. The, the other thing is, it's it's got that it's got that um, knowing element to it, whereby what it thinks is a really good twist is actually really predictable once they set it up. You know, like when you see the young kid that's a vampire. It's not actually that much of a surprise because by the time they set it up, you think, oh, yeah, that's what's going to happen there. Yeah, well, I think just in general, it's probably the biggest flaw of this film is that it's kind of making the cardinal sin of horror movies, which is trying to say this film is scary because vampires are scary. But the problem is vampires aren't real. So why should I be scared of them? Like, the things that make horror movies work is kind of how human beings are reacting to these things. You know, do you remember human beings, you know, with emotions and things? Yes, I've seen some of those in films as well. Films that are not 30 Days of Night. That's right, yeah. And uh, I mean, the thing is, if you actually look at the filmography of some of these people... um. At best, they've turned up in genre TV over the years since. There's very few of them have built a film career after this. And there's a reason for that, because the cast list is a veritable who's that of Hollywood. I mean, it's got such illustrious names as that guy who I kind of recognise from that one thing that I saw once, I think. Yes. Yes, I, I saw him in it too. Um, I mean, the one enjoyable bit about this film is, of course, the bit that you play with Manu Bennett, whatever he's in, whether he's been a druid in uh, Shannara Chronicles or whether he's been Deathstroke in Arrow. And here as Deputy Billy Kitka. Can you guess where his accent's from? Ever. I know, it's so... Like, 90% of the time, 
it just sounds like he's doing his normal New Zealand accent. But then he'll suddenly put like a weird like Texas drawl on some of his words. <laughs> then sometimes he'll be a little in the cockney. Um, it's just, uh, what? <laughs> Where are you from, Billy Kicker? Well, he's from the land of the hirsute gentleman. Because his hair grows at an alarming rate. It, uh, why does his hair grow so much longer than everyone else's? I mean, it's a month. It's a month, guys. <laughs> I, I like you, it's just that one scene where, like, Josh Hartnett walks in and he's got, like, a bit more stubble. And yeah. then you see Matthew Bennett hair down to his shoulders, beard wildly out of control. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, and, and, and I know that there is a sequel to 30 Days of Night, although God knows why. Um, oh, because it made double its budget back at the box office, that's why. Um, but maybe that's the sequel. The reason that Billy Kitka is so pursuit is because he's a werewolf. See, and that's what prompts 30 more days of night. See, unfortunately my gut says no, because that would be too fun of a twist. <laughs> <laughs> and also, that's why he's absent for most of the film, because, let's face it, werewolves and vampires are known for not getting on. I've seen that in documentaries like um, Underworld, presented by Kate Beckinsale. And see, and again, I think that's another one of the big problems is not having that character. First of all, it's weird that he just kind of reappears randomly halfway through the film. <laughs> yeah. And second of all, he's the kind of character that if you did have him in there, you could have some kind of, like, emotional conflict. Like, if Josh Hartnett thinks, no, we need to stay hidden in the attic to keep all these people safe. But then Manu Bennett's like, no, we need to leave because we I have to, to go fight. Yeah. Take the fight to them. Whereas what you've got is a like ninety-seven-year-old guy doing that. Yes, yeah, exactly. Your main source of conflict is either the old man who's like, "Oh, I'm actually, I think I'll just leave," until someone says, "Now nah, you sit down now," or <laughs> have a have a have a little sit. Or that one guy who comes across as like a bit of a jerk up until one of the other characters is steady on pal. And then he just sits back down again too. Yeah. It's um It's not great fun, this film. Vampire films should be exciting. They should be fun. They should have you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, see, I watched Thirty Days of Night like quite a while ago. I mean literally like maybe a decade ago. And I remember quite liking it. But also, I'm not sure if maybe it was a film that I quite liked the premise of. And then even this time re-watching it. Because I feel like coming into this episode, I didn't hate it as much as you do. But I'm also not sure how much of that was just like confirmation bias of me going, 
I remember this being good. So no, it, it must be good, right? It's it's definitely good, right? This this is a good paper. I'm enjoying. This. I'm definitely enjoying this film. I mean, it's it's a bit slow, but you know that's that's good. It's it's you know slow burn, slow burn, slow burn. That's the term. Slow burn horror. That's what it is. It's not boring. It's a slow burn. But also, yeah. maybe it's just it's a bit boring. <laughs> you see, what surprises me is um, David Slade's uh, previous film to this was Hard Candy, which completely different subject matter, but is an absolutely brilliant film. Um, how he went from... I mean, it's not one that you go, I really enjoyed that, I'm going to watch it again, but it's a good film. How he went from that to 30 Days of Night in like 12 months is startling. Yeah, and I mean, it's maybe unfair to like entirely place all the blame on David Slate's shoulders. Because I mean, he's also, he's directed quite a few episodes of Hannibal and I like that show a lot. So it's probably, it's more of a group effort on this one, maybe. Well, yeah, but I mean, he's he's kind of there to sort of, well, I'd say rein in the worst excesses of the performers, but they didn't exceed at anything. I mean, it was, you know, quite often as a director, the problem is getting your actors to tone it down a bit. They're giving more than 100%. He must have had to really drag some of those performances out. Um... And failed. I mean, you've. No, I, I can do. I can think of a good performance. The most moving part of the film is when the huskies get done in. And once they're and once they've gone, I don't care about any of the other characters. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel like the Husky Death was George. Regardless of how much Melissa George pouts at me. God, she did. That's all she does in this film is just stand around and pout. <laughs> and I think it's really egregious. Because going back to the comic, in that, I mean, to fair in the comic, she still doesn't do that much. But she's also like the co sheriff. Like her and Evan, you know. They're more happily married in that, and they both work as the sheriff. Right. But I think she does. I, mean, I think, yeah. But one thing she does get to do is she does get to like just pop one off into the the stranger's face when he turns out to be kind of a bit of a vampire too. But in this, she's just nothing. Yeah. She... And, and, and the other thing that. I... And I don't know whether it's just watching it through modern sensibilities or whether it's just that, you know, in the in these strange days we live in, everybody's just a little bit heightened to these things and the sensitivity of the world. But did you notice that before night fell and they were all, the town were all preparing and packing up and people were spilling oil in the town and getting citations for it? Because, like, that's important when you're all evacuating. Um, there was one... One family of <laughs> native Alaskans, and that was it. Everybody else was quite clearly a US cast. Oh, yeah, and 
do that again. This is another big point against the film. Joe, who else is Native Alaskan? Eben Allman, the main character of the comic. Yes. But but no, we we get Josh Hartnett instead. And rename it to Olsen. Which is just some... It's, it's very Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Um... Right, okay. But yeah, goodness, because... So I'm, I'm just looking over my notes and there's, there's so much here that I've kind of written down as kind of a half-hearted attempt at going, yeah, this is, this is a good thing that I think I liked. But on retrospect, did I really? Like I've put down like... <laughs> like you've got that... I just trying to be kind? Yeah. <laughs> like I've put down that I quite liked that one shot they did where like all the vampires are attacking and it's just like a big kind of overhead tracking shot of the town but it's but does does that really add anything or is it just that it looks a bit like the original Grand Theft Auto games Mm. I did think that actually at the beginning when you see the stranger running towards the town through the snow the, the bleak bypass look that they sort of give to that whole scene does look a bit like the opening of a Fallout or a, a GTA, doesn't it? It is, yeah, Just especially with like, yeah, and the way it's like got some like introductory text and then some of the text kind of like dissolves away. Yeah. Also, again, I've kind of got stuff about. Oh, isn't it interesting that they, you know, took the time and effort to to give the vampires their own language and they kind of made it, you know, like very breathy and hissy and shrieky like it's, because they're not human. But again, thinking about it, Mick. Yeah? Did the vampires maybe just sound a bit silly? Is it just a bit silly when Danny Houston keeps going whoopa doopa whoopa? Um, yes. It sounds like someone who has just picked up their Klingon dictionary and he's making their first furtive attempts at trying to speak the language. It is, yeah. This is the exact reason that I've only seen like three episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Because <laughs> I just, I cannot handle every time it cuts the Klingons going, whack, 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 whack. And it's like a very <laughs> tense, dramatic scene of like some, some guy being like betrayed by the only family he's ever known. But just the dialogue is hooba dooba wooba screwbob. I'm just looking back through some of the notes I was making uh, as I was watching while I was cursing you and all that you stand for for making me watch this. Where you asked me why his hair had grown so much more than everybody else's, and I said, because he's been on the outside watching it in real time. 
Um, yes, he, he's been through the, the actual six months that this film yeah. takes place over. <laughs> and that was, yeah, that was the other thing. When you see the van, this, that, I mean, the reason that I thought that um, Harlow looked like a Neil Tennant undead tribute was the way that he was dressed and the sort of miserable expression he had on his face at, at all times. Um, but then whenever there was a sequence where he was leading the vampires through the town, it looked, because of the stylized way that the, the film is lit, it looked like the opening to another Pet Shop Boys video from their pretentious 80s days. I think the one thing I can take out of this film now, though, is just imagining, like, kind of the bit at the end where Eben, like, punches through Marlowe's face and it just immediately cutting to, you were always on my mind. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's it. When Josh decides to take it, take on the vampires he suddenly becomes a really talented biogeneticist I mean what? you say talented <laughs> it's very much a what if I just stick the vampire blood into me yeah but he he goes through that whole thought process in like 12 seconds he joins up dots that a sheriff in a, in the northernmost town in Alaska has no right to be joining up. Yeah, it's just, it's such a, and you've this, this is also the, exactly the same in the comic as well. It would be such a moment of just, oh no, we are running out of page length slash screen time. Best find a way to wrap the film up. Ah. <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> It's also, I'm not entirely sure why he needs to inject himself with the vampire blood. Because it it does very much seem like the strength and the speed of of the vampires is directly proportional to how high up the cast list the person they're attacking is. Yes, that that is true. Um, Also, I've spotted... I've always been concerned about American architecture. About all these towns that you see where they've got these timbered and half-timbered houses up on stilts that then get blown away in hurricanes and then they get rebuilt in exactly the same way. Um, I'm going to add to that list of flaws the big gap underneath the floor of your house because that's just inviting vampires to drag you off to a dark place actually yeah that's that's one of those things that i've seen in a lot of films and i have no idea why american houses have those large gaps underneath except for to be in horror films where someone peeks under and then the monster grabs them and pulls them under. <laughs> like, I have no idea what their actual purpose is. I suspect it may have something to do with preventing the transfer of damp. Maybe. 
Oh, oh, I guess it's to kind what, of what? lift the house off the ground a bit. So if it's if it is a softer foundation, like snow or something, it doesn't sink. Maybe could be. Um, but that it does also explain why um, Dorothy's house in the Wizard of Oz got such a tremendous amount of uplift during that storm. And ended up not being in Kansas anymore. Because it's not just Alaska where they have that design. So it's not the damp from the snow that's the problem. Or the softness of the snow as a foundation. Actually, yeah, yeah, it's all over. Yeah. I can see the put. I can see having having it on stilts in somewhere like, you know, Louisiana where there's a lot of swampland. I can see the sense there. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that Alec Holland can't just climb up into your house and beat you up. Yeah. Although he can do that. He can do that. So, so really, they're, they're just pointless, the stilts, aren't they? They are. Unless, unless all American architecture is a tribute to uh, the legend of Baba Yaga. But then they'd shape them like chicken legs rather than stilts, wouldn't they? They would, and, and I guess design all their cars to look like giant pestilent mortars. Yeah. But it would be a lot cooler if everything was designed to look like Baba Yaga, wouldn't it? It would. It would indeed. I mean, the Russians would probably get upset, but... I suppose, I suppose we ought to think about ranking this. We should indeed, but no, actually no, before we do, can I just mention the one thing that really, really got on my nerves? It's the bit... Was it the film? (laughs) I mean, specifically in the film. (laughs) It's the bit where, like, Mark Boone Jr. does his big heroic sacrifice, where, like, he drops his flare into the box of... I think it's other flares. It looks like dynamite, but it's also not the 1800s, so I don't know why the general store would just have dynamite. But yeah, drops his flare into the explosive thing. It's stunning. It was the, I think it was the 1800s when they started filming. Maybe. But yeah, but like he's standing right above it. It explodes. He's very clearly blown to bits. And then in the next scene, he's just not... And then Neil Tennant yeah. stands on his face. <laughs> anyway, let's rank it. Well, we've got a problem here, haven't we? Because our ranking is based on the premise of whether it's a good or bad adaptation of a comic book. Now, this is a lousy film, but from what you said earlier, it's an adaptation of a lousy comic book. Therefore, I mean, it's a really yeah. excellent adaptation. I mean, yeah, it basically lifts a lot of stuff kind of one for one from the comic. So, sorry, voter petition, <laughs> guess you're number two. Now. <laughs> um. But, but if, they, 
But in terms of an enjoy enjoyable way to spend 30 days. Um, so, so, yeah. So my initial thought was in terms of like, I, I mean, not enjoyment, but just kind of passively just getting to the end of the film and going, that is a film I have watched and now I can go do something else. I, I'm as nonplussed by this as I was by Edge of Tomorrow, but I feel like Edge of Tomorrow also has like a level of technical achievement that 30 Days of Night just does not have. Yeah, this is it. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's a bit like sort of less well-received Marvel movies, isn't it? You know, you may not enjoy that movie. I'm thinking of something like Thor The Dark World, which is a bit miserable and it, it, it it's not as good as some of the other um, movies. But it's still got elements about it that are good. The, there's some good performances in there. There's some nice set pieces. There's some excellent special effects. This has none of that. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I could not tell you a scene in 30 Days of Night that, like, I genuinely enjoyed. No. I don't think, I don't even think the vampires were particularly well realised. They look like sort of, you know, someone who's doing a B-teching visual effects at the local college. Yeah, like, I've seen some stuff saying that, you know, oh, it's kind of reinventing the vampire genre making them like you know faster stronger deadlier but it's I mean they're about the same as they were in Blade weren't they and that was like yeah god a long oh, 17 years before this was it yeah something like that I mean at least it didn't make them sparkle I mean not yet David Slade had to wait a film for that one. <laughs> and to be fair, if he directed Eclipse, other people had got there first. Uh, so, so looking at the list, Edge of Tomorrow is our number 19. I'd yeah. actually be tempted to put it below Angley's Hulk at 20. I was thinking things were looking up for Matt Salinger and his Captain America aunt. Oh, oh, I was see. looking to elevate the rubber ear. Because at least that's a talking point. But at least 30 Days of Night has some production values. It has, but it bored me more than Captain America. Captain America was so bad it was good. In comparison to 30 Days of Night, which is just awful. It's... Oh, God. Nick, I, I don't want to say it, but... I, I might actually agree with you. Because <laughs> the thing is, we, we, we've, we've ripped 30 Days of day, uh, a Night a new one today on this. But none of it's been done with that little twinkle of joy that we got from discussing some of the sillier aspects of Captain America. Yeah, exactly. It's just... It's a boring film, as 30 Days of Night. 
Yeah. It's a boring, uneven laugh. It's just, it's not as fun as joking around about Matt Salinger's rubbery is. <laughs> exactly. So, I'm also, I'm also looking at my notes, which, which I, I realise that we may have listeners of all ages, so I'm not going to mention it word for word, but I, I exhibited surprise that this got a sequel. I think we should start a campaign right here, right now, to get Matt Salinger a Captain America 2. Because if this can get one, surely the film that's slightly above it in our ranking should get one. Yes, finally. We're going to harness the same zealous dedication that got a Zack Snyder cut of Justice League (laughs) to get a sequel to a very bad Captain America movie. Starring a man who I don't think does acting anymore, if he's even still alive. <laughs> uh, I think he is. I think I looked it up when we did um, Captain America. Let's just see. Matt Salinger, are you available? Let's talk sequels. Uh He's an American actor and producer. Look, well, if Wikipedia says he's an actor, he's in the film. Huh. He's got other films to his name. Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, there you go. Oh, my God, we could bring back Red Skull's daughter as the Headless Horsewoman. <laughs> uh... So, yeah. Matt Salinger, come on. Are you available? And I mean, I guess more importantly, though, there you have it. 1990s cut. And I know that Matt Salinger's dad wrote Capture in the Rye. I don't know anything interesting about Josh Hartnett's dad. This is, it's madness, but 30 Days of Night, a film I would probably give like a higher rating than Captain America, is in fact our number 22. Because 30 Days of Night, I feel like it is like two and a half stars, but God, it's a boring two and a half stars. Yeah, I think you've given it two stars too many there. Anyway, yeah, there we go. 30 Days of Night, our new number 22. Excellent. I can't believe how relatively quickly Captain America's moved off the bottom spot. I thought he he was going to be there for a while. I really did. But, uh, But no, he's been rescued. By a small town in Alaska. Which still counts as America, so that's all alright then. Well, I think that's about it from us then. If you do want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you can make sure you never miss an episode. 
and if you want to get in touch our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on twitter at beholdpod also if you are a fan we'd really appreciate it if you did leave us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend it's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners so that's everything until next time i've been andrew and i've been mick so so long and thanks for listening Thank you.